Good evening, uh, ladies and gentlemen. It's good to be here again by the uh, gracious hostess and host, my good friend Gary and Laura. There's a uh, Good job. You need to, we need to make it in a bigger uh, venue. Guys, it was a marriage class, so you could have brought, brought the wife. <laughs> uh, of course, <laughs> of course. I don't have any of the Okay, Thank you, sir. Look at that beautiful Hashem. Gracie, my favorite we are reading the uh, parashiyot now that talk about the Mishkan <coughs> the Mishkan was uh, like a synagogue but it was a portable synagogue it was made with very special details uh, gold and silver with certain dimensions and certain kavanot they had to put in it and this is what they had in the desert for 40 years it was a traveling they call it in English a tabernacle it traveled with the Jewish people and the purpose of this structure <coughs> was to bring God from the upper heavens down to earth we know God is in the heavens but we want God to be with us we want him to be close to us we want to feel it we want him to be next to us so this Mishkan was like a uh, I will give a bad example but like a satellite it was able to draw the Shekhinah and bring it down to the people of course it's not a satellite this was done with holiness and intention and sacrifices and Kohanim and so on and so forth today we don't have a Mishkan today we don't have a temple the Pasuk writes, li mikdash. Make for me a Mikdash, make for me a temple, and I will dwell in your midst. So the temple served a very important purpose. God was with us. Once the temple was destroyed, we lose that benefit. How do we supplement it today? Which means today that we don't have a temple, what is the vehicle that we use to bring Shekhinah down into the home, into the world? Our rabbis tell us, the institution of marriage. The Gemara says, when a man gets married, Ish ve'isha, Shekhinah b'nehin. Establishing a Jewish home is tantamount to building a Mishkan. Therefore, at our weddings, how do we get married? We tell the girl, Hare at mekudeshet li. Behold, you are sanctified unto me. The word li. That word li is used in the Mishkan. Ve'asuli mikdash. Hare'at mikudeshit li. Li, li. Now that we don't have the li of the ve'asuli mikdash, so instead we have hare'at mikudeshit li. And it accomplishes the same objective. It brings the Shekhinah down. It's, it's a big thing, the Jewish marriage. That's why we have a custom. At the end of a wedding ceremony, which I'm sure you're all familiar with, 
We break a glass. Why do we break the glass? The breaking of the glass, according to the tradition, <coughs> the main reason that they bring is in order to remember the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash. So the temple was broken. So we break a glass like we're breaking the temple. Why do we do that at a wedding? How come we don't do that at a bris? How come we don't do that at a pigeon? How come we don't do that at a bar mitzvah? Only a wedding ceremony, we want to remember the destruction of the temple? But the reason happy is... Happy time. Happy time? So the reason is based on what I just told you. That since we don't have a temple anymore, and what, take the, what took the place of the temple to bring the Shekhinah down? Marriage. So therefore, we, at the time of the marriage, we remember, oh, we used to have a Mishkan. We used to have a Bet HaMikdash. Instead of the Asudim Mikdash, now we only have Ali Abdi leave. So therefore, it's a moment where we contemplate, oh, what did we lose? So when we're building our home, we remember God's home, so to speak. And therefore, we break the glass in order to remember it. That's the simple interpretation of this custom. However, if that's the reason why we break the glass at a wedding, I always had a very big question. What do they do right after they break the glass? Everybody says, hey, Mazel Tov! Hey. What do you mean, Mazel Tov? You just broke the temple. You just chopped it up. You just destroyed the Beit HaMikdash. And right away, everybody's reaction, hey, 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 everybody's wild. Because I the way you do. But you just destroyed. I the way you do. You can say whatever you want, but you just destroyed. So some have the custom that they break the glass early in the ceremony. So it's not done yet. So they won't say, hey, Mazel Tov. But our custom is to do it at the end. So it's a little funny, that reaction, unless we say that there's other reasons why we break the glass. And once we explore the other reasons why we break the glass at the wedding, you'll see that it's a fascinating item. On Friday night, we make Kiddush. What do we do? We take a glass or a, a cup. Usually you'll see the cup that we use for Kiddush is silver. Most people have silver. If you go to the store to buy a Kiddush cup, there's silver. Very rarely will you find a gold cup. Even though I'm sure some people could afford gold cups. It's not about the money. There's a reason. Because silver in general represents mercy gold represents judgment silver is like white it's light color gold is red red is the judgment so we, use, we want to do mercy we want to use mercy so therefore we use silver our rabbis tell us that the cup itself the cup itself leave the silver a cup itself like a glass cup represents judgment why does a cup represent judgment? Because God has a name of judgment, it's called Elohim. Some, some of the names of God is mercy. Yudke Vavke is mercy. Elohim is judgment. Whenever you see the word Elohim, oh, judgment. Whenever you see Yudke Vavke, ah, mercy. The numerical value of the word Elohim is 86. It's the exact numerical value of the word Kos. Kos is Chaf, Vav, Samich is 86. So the Benish says, the cost represents the judgment. Dinim. So the custom in the old country was they would make the beracha on the cup. They would drink. Now what are you left with? With the cup. The cup is the judgment. So what do they want to do with the judgment? They want to break the judgments. So there shouldn't be any dinim on the hatam kala. 
So when they're taking the course, they're getting rid of all the dinim, all the judgments, all the bad luck, let's say. Oh, so if that's the reason for breaking the cup, now I understand. Hey, Mazal Tov! Beautiful! You got rid of the judgments. So we're not saying Mazal Tov on the Yerushalayim, we're saying Mazal Tov on the... But I want to tell you a third reason why we break the cup. Whenever we do something great, which getting married is one of the greatest things that we do in our lives, something very holy, very special, you're bringing Shekhinah down, the Satan, he likes to sabotage. He likes to spoil it. Anytime you're doing something very, very important, there's always going to be a resistance. Some will call it Ainara, some will call it the uh, Yetzirara, uh, 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 some say Satan. He wants to ruin it. Because he knows it's important. That's why anything good you're going to do in life, you're always going to have resistance. When there's resistance, you know it's good. No question. No pain, no gain. I'll give you an example. Our rabbis tell us, so whenever you're doing something great, you need to keep the satan out of the way, so you bribe him. You need to bribe him. Like, you want to keep the cup away, so you can get away. Don't bother me. So you bribe the satan. I'll give you an example. On Kippur, on Yom Kippur, we're asking God for a tongue. Now, the satan will go to God and say, What are you giving them a tongue for? They're no good. They, they do this every year. They fast. They go like this. The next day, they're back to their old ways. God, don't, uh, don't, don't buy it. I mean, the satan is a bad guy. He doesn't look good for our uh, better. So we need to keep him quiet. There's a custom, not a custom, it's a law from the Torah. On Kippur, you read about it in the Torah, they take a goat, it's called a sa'ir, they go to a mountain, it's called, it's a cliff, it's called azazel, and what do they do with that goat? They throw it off the mountain. Like an ask does that sound Jewish? Throwing a goat off a mountain? <laughs> Our religion talks about cruelty to animals, slaughter the animal with the thing. And, oh, uh, if the ASPCA would hear about this, they'd put all the Kohanim in jail. And here we go, Ankepul, the holiest day of the year, no less. And the Kohen takes a goat and hurls it off a mountain, and the thing goes rolling. The, it sounds satanic. The Ramban says it is. That's for the Satan. That's his bribe. The Satan says, you don't want me to talk? You don't want me to say nothing? That Give me something. You know what? what he, he likes that. That's satanic. He don't like a kurban. Ritual. Hey, you want something? You take the tumah off the thing. You're happy with that? I'll take it. So you see that concept. That's why it says the Satan. Every day of the year he has prosecution against us. But one day a year he got the money, he got the, the goat. He keeps quiet. That's why if you take the word has, Hasatan. Think of the word Hasatan. This is the Hasatan. He, Sin, Tet, Nun. Hasatan. He is five. Sin is three hundred. That's three or five. Hasatan. Tet is nine. Three or five plus nine is how much? Three fourteen. And Nun is fifty. So Hasatan equals three sixty-four. Because you can only prosecute three hundred and sixty-four days a year. One day a year, Kippur. He's all. He's all. Of course, it's a good one. What do you mean? Kedush, good one. All good. Now, you know, we're in Starchet. We're in Starchet. Oh, you're saying good. That's the prayers. That's why a lot of the prayers of Kippur talks about this goat. And the Torah says, when you read it, God gives you credit as if you did it. The whole prayer of Musaf talks about this goat. 
because it's a very integral part. So it's covered by lip service. Now watch. It's the same thing the Gemara, the Zohar writes, after a person eats a hefty meal, a bread, you know, festive meal, whatever it is, he's sitting there enjoying himself, he feels bloated, he feels full, and all that. The Satan goes to God and tells God, what are these guys eating? What is it? All the sins that these people have, they should be fasting all day long, and they're sitting enjoying a meal, so we need to get the Satan not to... So what do we do at the end of the meal? Very good. We wash our fingertips. You ever see them do that? My maharamim, they go at the end of the meal, they go like this. What's the reason why they do that? They take the, we don't talk about it, right? They take the water at the end of the meal. Oh! You heard that story I told you? No, she's not. I'll always think about it. She's unbelievable. She's not fine. She should be teaching the class. That's the college area. The high school. The high school. She heard it. She talked about it. She mentioned it. She talked about it. That's the super reason, I have no doubt. But you know what? You ever hear when they do this water, this Maim Harunim, they call it. A lot of times they say, get it off the table. Right. Yeah, yeah. Why are we getting it off the table for? So, so it's dirty water, big deal. What about the dirty plates? We don't take the dirty plates off the table. No, Maim Harunim, kish it, put it in the kitchen. Why? Because the rabbis say that the Satan, he likes this grease. This is his dessert. He likes this stuff. The stuff that we think is disgusting. The sal- so therefore at the end of the meal we say okay here's the dessert don't, don't go to God and have claims against us that we just ate a good meal what, do you, what, 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 what will you take give me the stuff on your face this is for the satan that's what we say get it off the table Kish, get it off the table it's the satan's items so a lot of the religion has to do with that I'll give you an amazing Gemara the Gemara says there was a rabbi before he used to start giving his lecture he used to start off with a joke and then he would continue the lecture. So the rabbis would ask him, what's the purpose? Why start off with a joke? The simple interpretation is the Gemara is teaching you a lesson in how to speak. If you want to catch the people's attention, you can't start off the class. The Pasuk says, Pasuk says you love half the group already. The Pasuk says, that's it. Now, Pasuk says, now, next, sentence, you know, next level. So you start off, oh, I heard a funny joke. Oh, joke? Everybody's listening to joke? Yeah, let me hear a joke. Then once you get him in the joke, then you throw in the Devere Torah and you go to retention. That's the simple interpretation of the Gemara. But the depth is, when the rabbi is about to give a class, it's such an important thing to give a Devere Torah, the Satan will now try to come in and ruin it. So what do you do in the beginning of the class? Hey, this is Here's a joke for you, okay? Here's the joke. The joke is to give the Satan a little piece of the action so he won't bother you. That's the bribe. So he starts off with a little, uh, you know, light comment. What do we do at a wedding to keep the satan from jeopardizing it? We take a glass, we break it. Again, it doesn't sound Jewish. Since when do we break things? Like Greeks throw, throw dishes against the wall after dinner. But Jewish people don't do that. They break a glass, and we're breaking the glass. The rabbis say, we're telling the satan here, you want the broker? Take this. Take the garbage. The it's like the Maimah Haronim. That's a piece to him, so he doesn't jeopardize the situation. So the breaking of the glass <laughs> is very significant. But I want to teach you. That's why I'm giving you reasons. Because when you're educated now, and you know some of the reasons, you'll understand what I'm going to tell you now. I'm lucky because I go to a lot of weddings, as you know. A few months ago, under the chuppah, the guy breaks the wedding, the, the glass. So the girl says, Rabbi, I want the glass. What do you want the glass for? 
<laughs> I want to make the decoupage. She wants to put the stuff in here. Some decoupage. <laughs> decoupage of the of the satan. She <laughs> <laughs> didn't know. I didn't. I didn't say it like that, though. But I'm saying now that we know the reasons, that's not an because one smart guy, give him credit, entrepreneur figured out a new item to sell. <laughs> oh, we'll frame the glass for you. We'll make a, a mosaic. It's right, item. Right, 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 right. I give the guy a lot of credit. He's a genius. But to the educated consumer who know, it's like taking the Maimah Haronim and showcasing it now on the thing. You know, showcase Maimah Haronim. It's, it's Tum'ah. Oh, we didn't know about it. We thought it's an item. We thought it's good luck. Good luck? What's good luck? Satan. So I said it in the school today, this reason to one of the girls yeah. in the school. Says, oh, wow. Says, My aunt gave me the glass from her wedding and said it's a singular to carry it with me that I'll get married. I said, and? She said, I'm waiting three years. I'm still not married. Do me a favor. Get rid of it. Get rid of the item. I'm loaded. you get married next week. You're holding on to the thing in your pocket. People make up their own stuff. So look at this. Such a simple uh, minhag, like breaking a glass. Look how many reasons are behind it. To remember Jerusalem. Kos is Gematria 86, which is Elohim, which is to break the judgments. It's to give a peace to the Satan so he doesn't uh, sabotage. I'll only tell you this, because Judaism has a lot of customs, and a lot of times we don't understand the depth of the customs. But you should never, and not that we do, but we should never belittle a Jewish custom because there's always a reason. There's always a logic. I don't know if I told you the story. God willing, in May, we're planning on making a trip to Krakow. In Krakow, Poland, is buried a very big rabbi called the Rama, Rabbi Moshe Isudish. Great, great rabbi. He was the rabbi of the Ashkenazim, but he was the main rabbi. <coughs> He was a young man, and they made him the chief rabbi in Krakow. On the day that they made him the rabbi, it's the first day in the shul. After they finished praying in the morning, the gabai of the synagogue gets up with a paper. We'd like to wish congratulations to the following people, Mr. So-and-so, Mr. So-and-so, Mr. So-and-so. It was, hey, Mazal Tov, hey, it was congratulations. So the Ramah says, oh, you know, what, what happened to these people? Oh, these are the people that their wives went to the mikveh last night. The rabbi says, what? You make an announcement <laughs> of the guys whose wives were... To the, and everybody tells him, hey, Mabruk, Mazatov, hey, way to go, very nice. He says, what kind of crazy what is this? The big man is such a private item. And hey, you're getting up in public, you're announcing it to the... He says, listen, I'm the rabbi of the shul. This minhag officially is abolished. No more minhag like this. The rabbi, we're doing this for so many years. Says, it doesn't make any sense. So they stopped the minhag. A few weeks later, there was a guy who was out of town, comes back to the shul. Supposedly, his wife went to the mikveh the night before, so he's waiting for the, uh, you know, for the mazal tov. He's waiting for the announcement. The guy doesn't get up. So the guy goes after. He says, "Hey, what's going on? How come you didn't give me the, uh, you didn't give me the acknowledgement?" <coughs> he's, "Oh, listen, you were away. We got a new rabbi here. <laughs> he stopped the, uh, you know, we don't, we don't do that anymore. He squashed him in hag." And he says, but anyway, we have the list of the ladies that went to the mikveh. I don't know how to tell you this, but your wife is your wife didn't go to the mikveh. She's not on the list. He said, what do you mean she's not on the list? She went. She said she went to the mikveh. They investigated. She didn't go to the mikveh that night. What did she do? She walked around the block. She put water on her head because in those days the mikveh was cold. It was you know it wasn't so easy. So 
he went back to the rabbi and says, Rabbi, my wife didn't go to me. She put the water. The rabbi said, Wow, now I understand why they have this custom. They announce it in public so the woman will not be able to yeah. fool around that they didn't go and just put water on their head. He says, That's the reason of the menag. And he ripped his clothes. He says, It's my fault because I changed the custom. Even such a ridiculous custom, there's a reason behind it. Because by announcing it now, the lady knows it. Everyone's going to announce it. Have the list. It's going to get, going to get caught. But here, without announcing and talking, nobody knows what anybody does. So therefore, he says, I caused this. And that's why when he wrote his book, many times he wrote a book on customs, this rabbi. He wrote a book. Today it's easier because it's warm, McVeigh, and it's private. In those days, you have to go out and take an ice picking on the ice. It's like ice fishing. He writes in his book many times, Vechen ha-minhag, ve'en l'shanot. He says, this is the minag, and don't change it. He's talking to himself, because he knew the repercussions of what does it mean to change a minag. But I want to give you another reason why we break the glass. One rabbi said, the reason why you break the glass at the wedding is to remember the day of death. How do you, how do you, how do you kill a glass? You break it. Now, I agree from time to time it's good to think about a person's mortality. But under the Hubba? Well, maybe it's a Tartarsa. No! Under the Hubba? It's such a happy day, it's such a beautiful night. But now we're going to do a ceremony. Let's remember the day of death. Let's remember the day of death. Now you want to remember the day of death? It's not. Right, the party's over. What does that mean? How can you? I mean, the party's over. That's what he's saying, but I don't accept that answer. You got married because you, you want to live, not because you want to die. What'd you get married for? It's a joke. No, I know. I'm joking. My wife is going to listen to the tape. Now watch. Now watch. Now watch, watch, watch. So I'm going to explain it to you. Very important custom. Before I say what I'm going to say, if you answer a man, it's going to come true what I'm going to say. Because we have a, a holy moment now, because we're in the Bret Torah. But I preface what I'm going to say with the Bilbenacha that all of you over here, whoever's not married will get married, Bezat Hashem, Amen. And whoever's married will be blessed with a family of children, Amen. Amen. So now nobody has to worry now. Everybody's going to have children. That's fact. I'm telling you. Because we're in the Holy Room, we have Benacha of the host, he's a Kohen. Children, you're going to have, and I'm going to come Amen. to the Bibi now. I'm coming to the Bibi now. Okay. Now that that's out of the way. Why does the Torah want to have children? Why do I have to have children for? I don't want to have children. Why do I have to have children for? The reason is because we don't live forever. And therefore, if we don't perpetuate and procreate, then the world just is going to end. If we would live to 10,000 years old, we don't need children for. We don't have children for. We don't live forever. But because we don't live forever, because the time, everybody has an expiration date, so therefore we have to get married and do something for the next generation because we're not going to be here forever. Under the wedding, we remind ourselves of the purpose. And therefore we break the glass to remember the mortality of man 
to remind ourselves that what? We're trying to have children. We remind. It's not a morbid remembering of the death. The remembering of the death at that moment is to say you're not going to live forever. Therefore, prepare the next generation. If you will live forever, don't get married. If you're living forever, what do you have to worry about the next generation? Everybody's still here. But because generations come and go, so therefore it's your obligation to to keep it going. So we remember the day of death not in a negative way. We remember the day of death in a positive way to remember the purpose of what we're here to do. I must have said this a thousand times under the chuppah. When we get married, we say to our wives, at It's nine words. Why did the rabbis want us to get married in nine words? They say nine words, nine months. They're hinting to us that that is one of the objectives. Of course, it's to be together. We know that already. It's to show uh, giving to each other. We know all that stuff. But one of the objectives is, of course, is to create the next generation. So nine words, nine months. That's part of the Kabbalah. I'm going to tell you a deep thing that the Zohar Kadosh alludes to. How come when you're standing under the chuppah, everybody's crying always? Why are you crying? It's a happy night, it's a beautiful night. The father of the bride's crying because he has to pay for the wedding. But he's the only guy, he's the only guy that has a right to cry. But besides, besides everybody else, why are they crying? The mother of the bride, they give her tissues and a thing. It's a happy night. So they say, oh, because it's emotional, I love my daughter, I love my son, I can't believe it. That's uh, superficial reasons. The Holy Book's right. A lot of times, sometimes we just have an urge to cry. We don't even know what brought it on. We're just tearing or something. We get emotional. It says because the neshama senses it. Sometimes the soul senses something and it activates the tears and you don't even know why you're in the mood, but the neshama knows why. When you're standing under the chuppah, the neshama sees a couple getting married, and the neshama senses why they're getting married. They have children. Because they're not going to live forever. The neshama at that moment senses the mortality of a man, and therefore people start crying. Now even though if you ask them why you're crying, they'll tell you, oh, emotional. But the real reason they're crying is because the neshama feels it. That we're at a wedding here tonight because... That's the high level. That's the depth of what the Holy Books tell you. Even though you say, no, no, I'm not even thinking about dying. <laughs> you're Nishama's feeling. You're not feeling it subconsciously. That's the reason. That's why it's uncontrollable. That's why it's uncontrollable. But I want to give you another reason why you break the glass. That's an amazing thing. You can't imagine how many reasons. I want to give you a hundred reasons tonight. What, what are we up to? I'm going to give another one. This is probably the, the, the main reason why we break the curse. This is, this is what I think, at least I say it under the chuppah always. So the reason why the hatan breaks the glass at the wedding is because it's the last time he's going to put his foot down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this could be a true reason. But of course that's a joke. I mean, you know, it's not a joke sometimes. But the, the, the reason why we break the glass there's a rabbi called the Rokayah. This is another reason, a basic reason. He says the breaking of the glass is to commemorate the breaking of the two tablets. Remember when Moses came down and broke the tablets? So we break the glass to commemorate the breaking of the tablets. And you ask a question, why now? 
We have to commemorate the breaking of the Tammuz at a wedding, no less. You have to commemorate the breaking of the Tammuz. Well, what's the yeah? What's the doing the Shabbat? Break the Tammuz. What's the reason of the wedding? So I'm going to tell you a big concept. It's a very important concept. I'll give you an introduction. There was a rabbi in the Gemara. They called him Shimon HaAmsoni. He was a rabbi there. He had a theory. His theory was that there's no extra words in the Torah. Every word is meaningful. Even the smallest word, et. You see the word et, alif taf. You see it all over the place. So every time it says et, it must be coming to tell me something. So he started to write a thesis. And he went from the beginning. Bereshit, bara, eloim, et, asham, et. Hidush. It, it, it went through thousands. Every it he gave an interpretation. He got to the end of the Torah. I was almost finished this theory. And there's a pasuk in the Torah that says, It Hashem Elohecha Tira. You must fear God. That has the word it. So the rabbi said, What is the it coming to include? Is there anybody else in the world that have to fear? By God? So he thought long and hard and he said, Every other it worked. But this one doesn't work. You must fear God. It to include who? So he said, you know what? Must be my theory was wrong. Because if it doesn't work every time, must be it's flawed. He took the book and he shelved it. Just until years later, there was a rabbi called Rabbi Akiva. And he said, I'll tell you what the it is coming to include. You know what the it is coming to include? You have to fear God. And there's somebody else that you have to fear almost like God. And let's tell the the rabbis. The rabbis are the closest, on earth at least, the right rabbis, I hope, like God. One time we had a rabbi in our community, the chief rabbi, Rabbi Kassim, he was a very, very holy man. One of the little boys came into Shevesiyon one day, and he sat in the front row, and he's just staring at Rabbi Kassim. And he's just staring at him, with a beautiful white beard, and a top hat. And he had a glow. His father says, Son, what are you looking at? He says, shh, I'm looking at God. <laughs> he says, no, no, that's not God. That's Rabbi Kassim. He says, no, that, that's God. <laughs> that's God. That's his, that's his connection. And the father says, you're right, that's God. That's God. We want to respect, because that's, that connects us to God. If you don't respect the messenger, then how are you going to respect what I am? So the Akiva said, I'm going to tell you, it is coming to include Tamidi Hakamim. So one rabbi said, what inspired Rabbi Akiva to put the rabbis on such a high level? Which is the first rabbi didn't dare say that. Rabbi Akiva came along and said, I'll say it. What inspired him? What motivated him? You know what they say? When he saw the first rabbi, that he worked on a project for his whole life, and then at the end he saw that it wasn't true, that he had such intellectual honesty <coughs> and he's willing to put his whole life's work and put it away because it wasn't true. He says, if that's what a rabbi is capable of doing, I can say that you have to respect Hachamim like this. <coughs> the inspiration came from the first rabbi. <coughs> Amazing. When he saw that, he said, well, you know how hard it is when you work on something your whole life, it's very hard all of a sudden to say, I was wrong. The more you become invested in something, the more you become entrenched in something, now you have to defend yourself. Now you have to protect your position. 
they did a study, it was written in the Wall Street Journal many years ago <coughs> on theses that are presented in colleges either by students or professors. They said 7 out of 10 of the papers that are presented, the authors of the paper themselves know the fallacies of the paper, they know it's wrong, but they don't, they don't say it. Because they worked on it for so long, and all of a sudden they realize the mistake, so they leave the mistake, they just say, this is what we printed. Because it's too difficult to admit. <coughs> there was a great rabbi called Rav Shlomo Zaman Oyerbach. He's a big rabbi in Israel, he passed away. He eventually became the Rosh Hashiva of Yeshiva called Kol Torah. But before he became the Rosh Hashiva, he came in to give his model class. He has to give a model lesson. So the other rabbis are listening to how he gives his class. He gave a whole derashah in front of the students. Well thought out, you know, Gemara and all that stuff. In the middle of the class, one of the students says, But Rabbi, according to what you're saying, I have this question. The Rabbi hears the question. He says, you know something? You're right. You got me. This, the theory is... Okay. Class is over. It's a mistake. And the rabbi is thinking in his mind, there goes my, <laughs> there goes my interview. There goes my interview. The Rosh Hashiva got up and said, you got the job. That's exactly the one we're looking for. The one that's honest. The one that can work on something for the whole uh, hour... And then because somebody asked a good question and you understood that you're wrong, and you come along and say, it's not truthful. That's the best one we're looking for. <coughs> Who are we looking for? Somebody that's going to just go forward no matter what? That's going to just uh, uh, circumvent the truth because uh, of their personal ego? But that's most people. That's why, for example, when we see somebody in the later years make Teshubah, you see it now very often. I don't know, 40-year-old, 50-year-old, all of a sudden gets religious. You know how great that is? Because when they get religious at 50 or 60, what are they really saying? In the first 50 years wrong. of my life, I was wrong. You know how difficult it is to say you were wrong? The hardest thing in it. So these people are very, very special in God's eyes. Not only that, you don't have to go to religion, forget about that. How about... In an argument. When I'm arguing with you, the longer I argue, the more now it's difficult for me to come along and say, oh, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Which is, if I can right away in an argument, you tell me, but Rabbi, if, if the first second I can say, I made a mistake. Okay, good, it's easy. But now if I'm doing this for three days, now it's not about the argument anymore. Now, it's, I have to, now, now, now I have to defend my position. <laughs> no, now it already becomes personal. Now it's not about even the item because now if I yeah, because now if I retreat, right, because now if I retreat, you're not even talking about that. Yeah, because now if I retreat, now I'm very bad. Watch this. That's a great lesson if we could teach just a couple, bride and groom. That you know what? You're going to get married. Inevitably, there's going to come disagreements. Be intellectually honest. If you're wrong, admit that you made a mistake and finish it. The longer you're going to hold on to the argument, the more you're going to become entrenched in it, and it's going to be much more difficult to back out. So, we want to teach that to Hatam Bikalla. You know what the best example we can give? Moshe Rabbeinu breaking the tablets. 
Moshe Rabbeinu worked on these tablets 40 days and 40 nights. He gave his life up. He didn't eat. He didn't drink. He's up there with God. The angels are fighting with him. The Gemara says, Fight. and this is his, his, his life's uh, 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 dream. He finally brings down beautiful finished product, the new earth. And what does he see? Golden calf. You know what? If I was Moshe Rabbeinu, I would say, wow, wow, wow. You know, I worked too hard on these things. Let me put them down over here on the side of the mountain. Okay, I can't break them. And I'll give the people a speech. Hey, stop doing that. That's no Wave your hands a little. You know, throw, throw your jacket. Throw coffee on them. But I'm not. The hot. But Moshe Rabbeinu says, the right thing to do is to break these laws. I have to show them that this is wrong. So Moshe Rabbeinu was willing to all the work that he put into it and all the effort and all what's right is right and he breaks the Luchot from Moshe Rabbeinu we learn that even he was totally invested in it he did what's right in marriage we're teaching when you break the glass you're breaking the Luchot that night we're telling the bride do what's right don't let your personal ego get in the way don't let your personal investment if something is up I'm sorry, honey, I made a mistake. I thought to everybody, wow, I can't believe it. You're admitting that you're wrong? Yeah, but instead what happens all the time, they come to, couples come to me for advice, and they argue, yeah, but I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, you're not in a courtroom. Marriage is not a courtroom. You want to be right? Okay, you're right. Don't be right in marriage. Be smart. Give in, compromise. You want to be okay, well, put aside. He's right. Okay, now what? Now what are you going to do? Do you kill each other because you're right? Don't be right. Be smart. You're, you're in a courtroom, then be right. But you're not in a courtroom. But what happens again? They're not talking for two days. Oh, so now for me to come after two days, it's very difficult. Because I was wrong for 48 hours. That's why you nip it in the bud. Right away when you know you made a mistake, it hurts even then. Even one second it hurts. <coughs> we defend ourselves even on something we said a second ago. It's hard for us to recant it. If somebody comes down, what's the weather going to be tomorrow? I tell you, rain. <laughs> now I said, I have to defend that position, no matter what happens. Now if a guy says, if the weatherman comes and throws me 80 degrees and sunny. No, 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 I heard rain. Because you said it, that's it. You said it, you're stuck now. And then the, 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 you're very hot to back out of it. Even for one second. What does it cost me to say, oh, I made a mistake. Because I said, could you imagine if it goes on for two seconds, or two days, or three days? Forget about it, possible. The greatest of Moshe Rabbeinu is 40 days of work. It's wrong. Boom, he breaks them. Rabbi, what if you what if you were really right and you say you're wrong just to, to get to go forward with the plan? It's the highest level. Smart. That's the highest level. Right. You're smart. What don't you say? Smart. You're being smart. Listen to the girl. Don't be right. Don't be right. <laughs> 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 this is going to haunt you this line. <laughs> I said it. I know. <laughs> it's going to haunt everybody. Don't be right. Brothers, she has a photographic memory, this one. Don't Women be right. are very patient. No matter what. They hold out. 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 Let's go. I'm sorry. You know, that's a whole bunch of right. Don't be right. Be smart. Now, let's talk to Give you another reason why you break the glass. That could make somebody even more. I have one question. <laughs> yes, dear. You said something, and Isaac mentioned it. Why the worst time that to argue with your wife is Friday night? Uh, that's oh, like you woke up to the house. I heard, Rabbi, that, that, that the Satanic Kanda Shalom Bible says that. Woke up to the house anyway. We're all Jack. We're Am all. We're all. No, 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 no. Come home. Yes, I do. Yes, me like you. Yes, no, no. Did I ask you me? I mentioned this. I mentioned this. Friday night. 
I'm going to ask you a question. Joe's here. Why, why always on, on Shabbat this happens? What's the problem I tell you? The Torah says, You're not allowed to make a fire in your house on Shabbat. That's what Torah says. You can make fire. We know that. That's one of the 39 things you're not allowed to do on Shabbat. So all the rabbis ask, why doesn't it say in the Torah you're not allowed to write two letters on Shabbat? You're not allowed to turn on a. a, 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 a you can't build on Shabbat. Out of all the things that are forbidden, the only thing the Torah says, don't make a fire. Why did you choose that one? Hmm. So the holy books say that the Torah is coming to teach you a deeper lesson. The fire represents anger. <coughs> when you get angry, what happens? You get heated up. Oh, you get round up, rage. The Torah says, because it knows that Shabbat, and I'm telling you why. The Torah knows that that's a day when people might get angry. And if Torah's warning you, don't let the fire of anger get to you. <coughs> Why? First, we have to discuss the dangers of anger. The Zohar Kadosh writes, there's nothing more physically dangerous than anger. Not to spirit, you, physically dangerous. Blood pressure, uh, 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 ulcer, uh, 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 heavy breathing, uh, stress. Heart forbid. That's the so that's already it's like taking a knife and just punishing yourself. But besides that, the Zohar writes at the time of anger, it's so it's so contaminating to the body that the soul cannot rest in a body of anger. The soul leaves, but you're still alive. Negative energies instead of the soul come in instead and take its place. They call those negative energies sitrahara. That means you lose your holy soul at the time of anger, and now you're possessed with all sorts of with other stuff. Rabbeinu Ali says, that's why one of the ways to fix the anger is you have to go to the mikveh. You mentioned mikveh, right? The numerical value of mikveh is 151. The numerical value of the word kaas is 150, plus the word itself is 151. Mikveh neutralizes kaas. Wow, imagine that. They don't say anything. But for this you have to go to Mikveh. You got angry? Dip in the waters. On Shabbat, you know why it's doubly worse? Because on Shabbat we have two souls. Now when you get angry on Shabbat, you're losing double barrel. You're losing the two Neshavot. That's why the Chida writes, there's a special Yetzirah that only comes on Friday afternoons from three hours before Shabbat till Shabbat. He only works three hours a week, this guy. And then he goes, comes back. And what's this Yitzhah? <laughs> to get everybody angry at each other? <laughs> so the Shabbat will be ruled so that extra neshama will not come into you? So you will not benefit. That's why you'll notice the craziest things will happen on Friday afternoon. I'll give you an example myself. If you, come, if you come to my... Come to my closet. Come to my closet in the house, in the bedroom. You'll see I have 40 shirts. It's not too exciting. It's all the same. Oh, white. It's all the same. <laughs> <laughs> not, not exciting at all. Very boring. Very boring. Same exact shirt 40 times. That's it. And when I called the guy before the house, they give me five more. Which ones, Rabbi? The same ones you've been giving me for 30 years. The same white, ugly shirt. Okay, that's true. Okay. And I put a shirt on every single day. Why is it only on Friday that when I put the shirt on, the button breaks? 
I put them every single day. Never the button breaks. <laughs> Friday, I put the shirt on. Because, because why? Because I have five minutes to get the shoe, and I'm rushing, and I put it up. Boom. Because now the answer that same beauty. Now let him get him crazy now. Now let him get nuts. Now let him get nervous. Now start the day like that. Go ask. Go ask electricians. They'll tell you ovens break on Friday. <laughs> what do you mean they don't break on Tuesday? Yeah, they break on Tuesday, but they break on Friday. Now you don't tell me because that's what we cook. Now, we cook every day now, families. We use the oven every day. Why does it only break on Friday? Because that's part of the item. That's part of the it's It's the plumber. Toilets and sinks break every day, but Friday more. Why? Because that's the it's So things will happen on Friday that never happened during the week. Crazy stuff to get why? For the reason I told you. Because the Siyat Salala knows the extra Nishama is about to come into you. He don't want you to have that extra Nishama. Because that lifts you. So if he can get you in an angry mood, beautiful. You lost that on the extra soul. And that's what the Torah warns you. I'm telling you, don't make the fire. Because if you make the fire, and not only that, the Shabbat itself, we're home. So we're with family, and there's kids running up. It's prone to that. What's doing that? I'm busy. I'm going to work. I'm not home. I'm not on. The, you're not on top of me. We're not on top of each other. We're not under each other's legs. We're not eating together. We don't have time to get angry. We're too busy. But Shabbat, you're home all day long. So you're gonna, you can make mistakes. You said the wrong word. You're talking. I didn't mean it. Shat achila, shat milchama. The time of eating is the time of war. The Gemara says. So it's prone, but that's why you have to overcome it. And the reason why it happens is for that reason. So the neshama won't come. What I tell you, it's the same thing. Anytime something great happens, Satan tries to sabotage. The bribe of that, I don't know the bribe of that. I don't know how you bribe it from that. You just have to be aware of it and not let it affect you. But I want to give you another reason now. A big, big thing, it's a big thing. The Friday yet, I know it, I know it. I know it. Yeah, there's an extra soul. The, there's a special Shabbat soul. Friday night it comes into the person. Saturday night it leaves. That's why on Saturday night we have a custom we make Havdalah and we smell perfume on Saturday night. Because when the Neshama leaves there's a void inside of us. So to fill the void the smell goes inside. So it's like it, it, it fills the void a little. So we feel bad. We lost, uh, we lost extra soul. So they smell the Samin. Uh, at least it gives us a little consolation. But don't worry the next Shabbat it comes as there's a double uh, Kiddushah on Shabbat. I want to explain the last reason tonight why we break the glass. My purpose is not to teach you why you break the glass, even though it's fascinating to learn all the reasons. My purpose is to teach you that everything in Judaism is deep. A lot of times, oh, what's the reason? It doesn't make sense. Well, come to class, analyze it, and you'll start to see that there's major reasons for everything. Before this class, I'm about to tell you why you break the glass, right away, all of you said Jerusalem. That's only one of. And now that you're the Christian, you might say, I don't like that reason, I like the other reasons better. That's like the, the weakest of all the reasons. Other reasons of. Listen to this. Torah writes, Alkin, therefore, Ya'azov ish et abib et imo, vedavak beishto. It says, therefore, man will leave his parents' house and cling to his wife. It's talking about getting married. It says, you leave your parents' house and you cling to your wife. The rabbis ask, 
Well, only the man leaves his parents' house. Well, the lady doesn't leave his parents' house. Parents' house. You both leave your respective parents' house. You get married. Why did it say the man leaves the parents' house and he attaches with his wife? A simple interpretation you want? The Torah is teaching a psychology of a woman. A woman never leaves her parents' home. A woman is always connected to her parents. The man could leave. The man's independent. That's just I know that. Therefore, when the lady says, "Oh, I want to go to my parents." It's normal. The husband, he leaves his parents' house. Our customers, for example, many of the communities, they go to deal in the summer. Where does the couple stay? By the girl's house. Because the girl has to be next to her mother. That's the way it works. You have to recognize that. You can't say, oh, you can't go back to your mother's house anymore. That's it. It's finished. You got married. That's it. You're locked up. You can't go back. <laughs> no, you can't do that. I let my wife go once a year to visit her parents. It's after, 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 you have to be flexible. Trying to create trouble over here? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> I met a girl from Deal, so it's hard to. <laughs> the, the thing is like this. That's a simple interpretation. I want to say a deep interpretation. In marriage, everybody has roles. The role of a man is. To be the role of a man, the role of a woman is to be the role of a woman. It's not, it's not a mitzvah for everybody to be somebody that they're not supposed to be. <coughs> What's the role of the man in the marriage? The Zora Kadosh refers to the man as a mashpia. Mashpia is the one that provides. Very good. The one that provides. The one that gives. On a simple level, the man goes out to work. It's his job to bring home Panasa. If the girl wants to go to work, she can, but it's not her obligation. The breadwinner of the family is supposed to be the, the man. He's supposed to come home with the money, give it to the wife. She receives the money, and she's supposed to build the house with it, uh, prepare it, make sure the house is... Not only that, not only in the physical state, but even in bringing children, just without getting into detail, the man is the giver and the lady receives. Think of how you have your children. The man gives and the lady receives. Not only that, but even spiritually. Spiritually, the man is supposed to set the, the pace. Uh, who's the rabbi of the family? The, rabbi, the husband is supposed to give the spiritual direction of the family. Uh, the, the rabbi of the family is the husband as well. And the lady again. She receives the direction from the husband. Of course, with her input, but she receives the And she uses that information to build a Jewish home. Everybody has their, their roles. The man is the giver. That's what a man, man has to go out every single day and make panasa and come home and give. That's what he's doing all day long. Providing. Builds a house for the family. Uh, gives of himself to the family. And again, the lady manages all this. When everybody's doing things right, the marriage is good. Then you have some case where the guy's a deadbeat. He don't want to go to work. So he doesn't want to provide. Now the whole house gets topsy-turvy. And she has to go out and work. And she has to raise the cabin. Disaster. Everybody has to do their God-given responsibility the first marriage in history was Adam and Eve what was the source of the sin of Adam and Eve ah. she comes to Adam and she's giving Adam a show and she's telling Adam what to do eat from the tree it's a God comes to Adam and says what did you do over here you forgot who you are she's giving you 
She's giving you the direction of the, of the halakha, of what to do, what's right and wrong. She, instead of you giving her, she's giving you to eat. You, you reversed it. This is the reason why you made that one. It's supposed to be the other way. Not only that, but the holy books write, when the Jewish people went to Egypt, it says, Parol, he did a crazy thing. He made the men do ladies' work, and the ladies do men's work. You know why they did that? The Zohar HaKadosh Rahizal says, because the Jews in Egypt went down to Egypt and suffered to atone for the sin of Adam Rishon. Since the sin of Adam Rishon is they switched roles, so God said, good, now you're going to switch the roles in Egypt. Now you do this work to fix that sin. Now watch this. When a man is living in his house, is he giving or is he taking? When he lives by his parents' house, he's a taker. When we live by our parents, they give us everything. We don't pay any bills, we don't pay nothing. Free board, free room, free food, free everything. We check it at night, we give our parents the clothes, they clear. We're just taking everything. We have no responsibility. You know what the Torah says? Al-Kin, Ya'azov ish et abib ve'imon. Before you get married, you have to leave your parents' house, meaning leave the attitude that you had in your parents' house. You have to go from being a taker, now you have to go to be a giver. That's what it means you leave your parents' house. Leave that attitude that you had in your parents' house and now go be a giver. A cup. What's the purpose of a cup? Receives or gives? It gives. Receives. Receptacle receives. No. You have to give. The cup itself doesn't give. The cup itself is a receptacle. You have to do something. The cup itself's purpose is to receive. It doesn't give you anything. It receives. Yes? On the night of the wedding, you know what we tell the Hatan? Break the glass. You're not a receiver anymore. Now you have to be a giver. You're no more receiving anymore like a glass. Now you left left your father's house now. No more giving. No more receiving. This attitude has to be broken. Now you start your new career of being a mashpia. Now go out and work. Support your wife. Support your children. Give them spiritual guidance. Give them the proper way. Wow. If we would only have known this on the night of the wedding, <laughs> we learned this many years later. Okay, we're not finished. We're going to have many weddings <laughs> at this gym. But it's just to show you that, again, even the customs that we take for granted, at the wedding it takes five minutes. Five minutes. It takes five seconds. Break the glass. Many times I tell the Hatan, don't step on my finger. One time I die, step on my hand. But the lesson is over here. That even the smallest of the minhagim, look how rich. Just review the reasons we said. Number one, Jerusalem. Number two, Koskos equals 86, which is Elohim, which is the judgments. Number three, to bribe the Satan. There's the Satan. You take this like the Maimah Haralim, like the Sayyid Fa'azazil. Number four, to remember the day of death. You're not going to live forever. Therefore, bring children into the world. Number five, to remember the breaking of the Luchot. Don't be so invested. If you're wrong, admit that you're wrong. Don't hold on to the argument. And the sixth reason that we said over here is to teach us that now you're no longer a giver, now you have to become, no longer are you a taker, taker. now you have to become a giver. Is that clear? Okay, we'll stop yeah, it. Yeah.